from the Hill Country in Texas, broadcasting worldwide, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant uh, good morning to you. Hi, this is Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. And it would be the, let's see, the 8th of February. And since Punxsutawney, what's his face? I don't know whatever he did, but he said it's going to be cold for a while on. Gophers generally know those kinds of things. We're going to have fun this morning. We're going to talk about gardening. Yeah, yeah, we love to talk about gardening with Emily Murphy. She's out on the left coast there, out uh, north of San Francisco. So uh, if you'd like to join the show with a question or a comment, 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. It's been how many years or forever since we've... uh, spoken with somebody about numerology you know numbers and you know the whole cool it's really cool and there's something to it because well i'm crazy so don't go by me but anyway we're going to talk with a numerologist uh, person uh, in in a couple of hours i think around one o'clock central time tomorrow one of our faves santos bonacci santos is a fascinating fellow uh, and uh, we're going to talk about the lost history and wait to hear some of the things that uh, They've un- they've discovered and we've un- uncovered with uh, many of the videos that we have looked at and talked to people about some of the things that went on in the history of this world that uh, they just don't tell you in public schools. I'm shocked. Okay, so that'll be tomorrow at 10 o'clock with Santos Bonacci. Now, Emily uh, is here, Emily Murphy, and if I can pull up her little website so I can talk about her. When she's not here. Oh man, no, I lost your website. So I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna talk about about you when you're here. Hello, Emily. Good morning. Sounds great. So, hi. Nice uh, to see you. Thanks for having me. Oh yeah. You, well, you look great, and you live up there in Northern California, a bit above San Francisco. <clears throat> That's right. That's right. I um, have always lived in Northern California. My family. Uh, is from Sonoma County, which uh-huh. many people know, I think, from as wine country. Uh, but I grew up in far northern California, near the Oregon border on the coast. And uh, a beautiful country up there. If anyone has seen Star Wars, which I'm sure many of your listeners have, it is where they filmed the Ewok scenes in Star Wars, very uh-huh. close to there. Uh-huh. So imagine all those redwood trees. Yeah, yeah. And you had a bestseller on Amazon, Iwani, uh some time ago, Grow What You Love, right? That was a big seller for you. Grow What You Love. That's right. Yeah, yeah Grow What You Love uh, was my first book. And very much my motto, uh, Grow What You Love. I mean, it says so much, at least to me. It's, you know, do what you love. Yeah. Uh, grow what you love. It, it's more, it's about more than growing a garden. It's about growing your life and yeah. finding meaning in healthy food, time with family, uh, the simple things. And uh, it meant a lot to me because it was really a way for me to uh, share what I learned from my family and my early education growing up. Uh-huh. And, and then, of course, college. Yeah. Well, as you know, and we all know that as we put love into anything, whether it be our dog or a cat or a significant other or our food, it just is better. I mean, it just is. <laughs> just, You're exactly right. It just is, yep. isn't it? And, uh, so, your book is just really beautiful. Folks, here's the name. Look at it. This is cool. She's got all kinds of things in here. Uh, composting, 
different resources at the back, uh, getting some seeds, uh, all kinds of things. And we'll, we'll spend some time with her this morning. And as, as I said, if you have a question, uh, 888-663-6386, email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. So uh, we've done some gardens here in, in, in Dripping Springs and the amount of water that it takes to make a garden go in the summer was so extreme, Emily. I mean, because I'm on rainwater. That's my only source of water. And I just just dropped it and went to the farmer's market, you know, because I just couldn't afford the water. Um, you know, these days, do you have techniques to help people to not use as much water if they're in areas where on the well water and things like that? Yeah, and those are topics I, I cover more extensively in my new book, Grow Now, the one that you're just holding up. Uh, and in Grow Now, one of the main tenets is feeding our soil and caring for soil ecology. And when we do that, when we feed the soil organic matter, whether that's compost or leaves or other forms of organic matter, um, mulches, then we are inherently increasing the water holding capacity of soil and we're also we're also buffering ph and we're moderating temperature which is helpful as well but when you feed the soil organic matter um, it's really increasing the water holding capacity of soil and so that's one place to begin Hmm. to hold more water when you say organic matter give us some ideas of what we can add to our little gardens what are some things yeah so it depends, of course, if you're growing in containers or in raised beds or the ground. And growing in raised beds, especially if it's a big box or a bin, it's pretty similar to growing in the ground. But with with those two in particular, and with containers, it just depends upon the size of your container, you're going to feed your soil compost, especially if you're growing food. And you want to feed, the rule of thumb is to feed the soil with an organic matter that's similar to the plants you're growing. Hmm. And so if that makes sense, so if you are growing vegetables and fruits, then you would feed your soil with compost that has been made with kitchen scraps, for for instance. And it doesn't mean everyone has to make their own compost because I know that that is... uh, a whole other level but actually if you were to do one thing you could make your own compost it's really pretty it's pretty simple and it's incredibly gratifying uh, to make your own compost because you have this fabulous circular economy in a sense from your kitchen to your garden back to your kitchen you're you're because life takes life to make and so you're taking this food life that you consumed or, or the bits and scraps and tails and tips of it and you're putting that back in your garden to make life again that you'd feed yourself and your family and and there's many ways to make your own compost but that's where I would start is with um, compost made with kitchen scraps it doesn't mean all of the compost is solely made up of kitchen scraps that means it's kitchen scraps are the greens so to speak browns and greens if anyone's familiar any of your listeners are familiar with composting uh, then you'd have browns which are which could be straws or leaves or twigs and and uh, materials like that that are brown in color and you'd mix those with your kitchen scraps to make compost and you could do that in a tumbler or a green waste bin and feed it back to your garden or you might have a composting hub or center in your community a lot of communities now are uh, composting kitchen scraps so you could maybe get it from your community center or or another place within your community so if you're doing it at home 
there's different little bins and things you can just purchase, and they work pretty good. They work pretty well to to, to make worms uh, or do. to feed the worms. You have a whole worm thing here. I'm looking at your book here on page 72. Yeah. But it's pretty cool. Look at this. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that really cool? Yeah, um, I, I just think this is so... So you got... Where do you get the worms? You buy the worms online at Amazon or something? <laughs> you, you could. The, the trouble with buying them on uh, a site like Amazon is you don't know where they're coming from and you don't want the worms traveling too far. Uh, but um, sometimes you can figure out who the seller is. If it's coming from a seller that's close to your home, that's what I highly recommend. Hmm. Uh, and you never know. There could be a neighbor or someone who already has a worm bin that has worm starter so to speak, um, they can give you a handful of worms to get your worm bin started. And if your worms are happy, they're going to pop, you know, propagate, populate, reproduce, and create more worms to fill your bin. Worm composting is so satisfying and and simple, especially when uh, you have a layered system like the layered system I show in my book. There's another worm bin I've been using lately. It's called a subpod. And a sub pod, what's really cool about the sub pod is you actually take the whole pod, which is like a box, and you submerge it in the ground, mm -hmm. whether that's out in, in your landscape, mm -hmm. in the ground, or in a raised bed. And what's fabulous about the sub pod concept is that because it's underground, it's naturally insulated, and it's also then fully encased, so you don't have to worry about rodents and other animals getting into it. And it insulates it from cold temperatures. So if you have cold winter temperatures, keeps the worms at that nice ambient temperature. Mm. And then you just go out and you feed them your kitchen scraps. And they decompose them into worm castings that you can then take and put into your garden. So is that the advantage of um, um, the worms, the castings, which is a, which is a nice way, a family show way of saying poop, right? Worm poop. But but then they <laughs> yeah. also then aerate the soil, don't they? They do you just let them crawl around the garden, in the garden? Yeah, you, you absolutely you could. <laughs> so the worms the worms used in worm bins tend to be a worm called a red wiggler, uh -huh. and they're a little bit different than an earthworm. Uh, red wigglers are they they exist more at the surface of soil. But yes, I mean, you could, it's perfectly fine to let them live in your garden and they will, and earthworms do the same thing. That's why it's so important to feed soil ecology, which goes back to our first point of how do I hold moisture in my soil and how do I, how do I get more from the water I'm using in my garden? Well, <clears throat> one of those ways is to, is to add organic matter. But when you add organic matter, you're also feeding the soil life, mm -hmm. which then does all these jobs for us, like aerating the soil, uh, creating compost, right? Naturally in situ in the ground by uh, decomposing leaves and kitchen scraps and other any organic matter we fed to the soil. Yeah. And again, like like composting from your kitchen to your garden, it's this fabulous circular economy that happens. But nature's doing the work for you, which is even better. Yeah. All you have to do is feed it. Just feed it. Emily's book is called Grow Now. It is available everywhere. And it's, uh, her name is Emily Murphy. Uh, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. This great question I had on my list to ask, but we'll let uh, Joyce ask the question. So I'm in a subdivision. I just have a green grass backyard, and I really want to start a garden. What do I do? 
That's great because that that's a lot of people, right? It's a lot of people. Yeah, and that is that is a fabulous question, uh, and such a great place to start because, again, as you just said this is where most people are beginning. We have a lawn, we have a space. We might not have a lot of space, but we have something and it's oftentimes a lawn. And one of the best things you can do with a lawn, and I show this in my book as well, is to simply layer organic matter over the top of the soil. I would start in, in the instance of a lawn, I would start by trimming it really short and um, and so the the shorter you can set your lawnmower or whatever device you're using to trim your lawn, the better. And then you lay down a a layer, a single layer of of cardboard. Hmm. And on top of that cardboard, you then add compost. And I would add about four inches of compost, but you could add more. You Hmm. could add six inches of compost. And the compost is going to be probably your most expensive input into transforming the space into a garden is purchasing the compost or sourcing it somewhere. Again, it might be that your community has compost for free if it's recycling the green waste in the community. And huh. then that's that's how my community is. There's green waste bin, the green waste bin, they go and they make compost out of it and then they have a pile of compost that anyone could go and collect from for their gardens. You never know. You might Your community might have that. But in reality, when you think about uh, trimming your lawn short, putting down a layer of cardboard. Actually, then you wet that cardboard because you wanna you want to create an environment in which microbes and worms mm-hmm. can come and live there, and they need moisture to live, uh, and start beginning their work of decomposing and really then combining those layers of soil that's below the lawn area and then the compost you're adding to the lawn area. And what the cardboard does as well is it helps smother the grass to a degree, decreases light. You're probably going to have grass coming through, but what <clears throat> at some point in, in a couple of months, but what the cardboard does is it makes it easier to weed it out. And again, your most expensive input is the compost because you're not having to build a raised bed, which which many of us know right now, uh, wood is incredibly expensive, yeah. say, right. to build a box. It's with the supply chain and yeah. everything that's happening in, in our world. And um, so I think that's a pretty inexpensive solution. And then you can just plant straight in it. And the trick, if you're growing vegetables, is to leave fine compost for the soil surface so that you can plant right away. And if you want to grow flowers or a mix of flowers and vegetables or native plants and flowers and vegetables, that's incredible. And eventually what I found is that when people start um, – when people start covering parts portions of their lawn and converting them to garden, then then the next year they they add an additional portion yeah. of <laughs> it. It grows and grows and grows, and their lawn gets smaller and smaller and smaller because they're you know we get so much from these spaces. They're so gratifying. Yeah. Uh, let's go back there. So when you, I heard you say you wet the cardboard, then you put the compost. So are you putting then uh, some actual dirt that you purchased somewhere? Or do you do right in the compost? Are you planting right in the compost? Wow. You're, yep, you're planting right in the compost. Hmm. And I know that seems counterintuitive. By the way, this is a practice called sheet mulching, which sheet, in the book you'll sheet, mulch. sheet mulching. Mm-hmm. Sheet, like um, like the sheets on your bed. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're laying down a sheet of cardboard and then you mulch on top of it. Uh, I know it sounds counterintuitive to plant straight in compost because what we've been taught is that 
we need to have topsoil and compost mixed at least. And I bought into that as well because we're all starting somewhere. And I, it's perfectly fine if that's how anyone has started because that's kind of the common knowledge floating around on, on the airwaves, right, or mm-hmm. in books. And in fact, I think I even wrote about it in Grow What You Love because I was still growing as a gardener. And that's the wonderful thing about growing and gardening is that we grow as our, garden, our gardens grow and yeah. that we, as we spend more time and, and attention with and giving our attention to these spaces, we learn and begin to understand these systems a little bit better. And we find ways to be efficient. How can we do things with less work and effort and have, again, nature do the work for us? And that's how I realized, bing, light bulb goes on, that planting and compost is the ticket. It's amazing. You're going to have a bumper crop right away. Um, And I think I forgot to... um, I think I forgot to put my my computer on Do Not Disturb. So if you just heard a bing, that was my computer. Oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay, um, but it's really it's really pretty incredible how how quickly your plants can take root. Now, if it's a really thick, coarse compost, then you're going to want to mix a finer compost in because you want those roots of those plants to have a place to grow and create a home uh, for their root systems. And if it's too big and coarse, there's going to be too many air pockets and spaces and right. those roots won't be able to move through it. So that's the only, that's the, I think the only tricky part, but in reality, uh, I've, I've never really had that problem. And uh, what, what's fabulous about compost then is it means that you don't have to source soil from somewhere else. And soil is heavy, it's expensive to move, and it's a resource that has to come from somewhere. Yes. And it, that might be fine if it's coming from, say, a building site where they're already excavating it. That could be a, 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 an easy way to find uh, soil. But really, compost is the most affordable, effective way to go. And it's the best for your plants mm-hmm. in your garden. What about... Um Using uh, the manure from uh, animals of some sort, chickens or cows or horses or whatever, uh, do you do that? Is it a beneficial to do that? Yeah, yeah, is I it? do. Uh, I I find that chicken manure, as long as it's chicken, chicken manure tends to run really hot. Yeah, uh, you can you can mix it with your compost. Oftentimes, if you're buying compost, there's already some form of manure in. From animals. The, um, oh, from animals. Yep, from animals. And typically, I, I work with chicken manure, but it has to be aged again because it runs hot. So you want to you make sure that it's aged about a year, if not a little longer. And, and then the other manure that is common is steer manure, cow manure. Mm-hmm. The, the, what we were talking about, rule of thumb, is to avoid manure from horses because horses... Um, the, the, the bedding that horses tend to be um, given to for their stalls, and oftentimes the, the, the straw, are, and, and I'm, I'm not a horse person, so I'm sure you have listeners that are. And, and if you know the horses and how they've been cared for, that's one thing. But buying commercially made compost that has horse manure in it can then invite certain um, herbicides into your garden that then kill your plants. I see. And wow. I, it's, it's how, it, yeah, it's how their really? hay and their straws treat it. So even a lot of, um, um, let's see, even a lot of grass-fed um, meat at the farmer's market in Texas when we have droughts, they sometimes have to go out and buy alfalfa. 
And if they don't might not buy an organic alfalfa, it could be an issue, right? Because they're spraying the glyphos on it and everything, and it's not good. It, it yeah, it could be. It, mm. it, you're right. It could be an issue, and that's again knowing your farmer. And yeah. that's the beautiful thing about 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 a community where you have agriculture is that you can talk to the people that are raising these animals or farming your food and and also having those conversations. I think part of part of growing some of your own food, growing organically, growing for wildlife, uh, such as butterflies and bees, hmm. you know, we really we really start to create a conversation with ourselves and our, our environments, which is just as important for our health as the food we eat is the is the health of the environment in which we live. And and then that purpose and meaning or that sense of importance, I think finds its way into our conversations with our farmers and and wanting a wanting environment that's better for our, our families and ourselves. Sure, yeah. And f- food that supports that. And in this uh, in these times when it's just computer, 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 it's just so important to be on the land and do something, right? Walk or go barefoot or exactly. get, be in the sun or whatever. Yeah. How much sun folks living in the a subdivision, as most people do, I guess, I don't know. Um, can you gauge of how much sun you need, Emily, to make it work? That's, an, that's another great question and, a, and an important practical sure. question. Yeah. Uh, you, it, it depends, of course, where the aspect, uh, are there buildings or tall trees in the way? Are they deciduous? Are they evergreen? Uh, it, it might be that your sunniest part of your yard is your front yard, mm-hmm. and and if you will really want to grow tomatoes and cucumbers and 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 you know these heat loving plants, you're going to have to maybe plant them in your front yard. But what I found is even if if you plant them in your front yard, it's a really great conversation starter with your neighbors, sure. and you might meet meet people walking by that you hadn't talked to before and it creates community in a really cool way yeah. uh and and that's i don't know i think that's kind of a benefit yeah. uh, it oh. might be that the sunniest part of your yard is a long strip along the side it could be your backyard uh and then it that doesn't discount though these places in our yards where it might be part shade or part sun uh, because especially if it's afternoon shade the afternoon tends to be the most intense light of the day and in the summer i'm sure it's this way in texas because it's i have honestly never been to texas and i have always wanted to go in spring for your wildflowers i i've heard so much about your wildflowers god bless uh, lady (laughs) bird johnson she she was uh i used to work for lady bird johnson at klbj radio klbj yeah, in the oh. 80s in Austin. She owned, she ran the, the radio station and she and her daughters. And she, long time advocate of wildflowers. And she opened the whole wildflower center. And she was always promoting wildflowers and people throwing seeds all along the Texas highways. And you can't, it's, it's amazing, depending on the amount of water we get, Emily. It's, you go by some highways and all you see is just wildflowers, you know, oh, in yeah. the spring. Yeah. I, I, I would love, I yeah. would love to, to, to do that and bring my Oh, froze up a little bit. I think her internet froze up a little bit. 
there? Nope. Your internet froze. Hold on. Your internet, I'm coming back. Your internet froze up a little bit, I think. Oh, yeah. Let me see here. Yeah. What's there? Can you hear me now? See me I now? I can hear you, and it'll the picture will pop back up once you get once you get more okay. bandwidth working. Do you, okay. Do you, um, yeah. So, um, in general, well, let me do a break, and uh, we'll be right back, okay? You stay right there. Okay, that sounds great. And um, That sounds great. Yeah, maybe check your... Well, there's nothing much you can do now, but I'm sure it's going to work. We'll just stick with it. This is Emily's book. It's called Grow Now and uh, Go Beyond Organic. We'll talk about that. Rewild Your Land. Sequester Carbon. We need to sequester that. Support Biodiversity. And as I said, you, you can look at the beautiful pictures. Got the whole worm thing going and the compost and uh, a lot of great uh, resources in the back. Um, it's really fun. I was really blessed to get this from the publisher. I don't generally read the books from our guests, but um, this is cool. Okay, so this is Grow Now. Get this and then you'll, you'll like it a lot. And then you can grow a lot of stuff. We have a couple things on sale here um, today. And this would be one of them if I can find the video. Where's the video? I used to know how to run this thing. Oh, here it is. Before I start my work day, I like to get my workout in. It makes me much more effective throughout the rest of the day. Now, one of my favorite supplements to use in conjunction with my training is Sir Thrival's Elk Antler. These are sustainably and humanely harvested from US free range animals. Now, what's interesting about elk deer, moose, all these animals we call the cervids. So they're the only mammals who have an organ that actually falls off and regenerates every year. These elk antlers grow out in just a matter of a couple of months. In order to grow like that, they need growth factors, steroidal compounds that cause that rapid growth. Those can actually be harvested, freeze-dried, and put into solution that you can actually utilize in your own body. Now there's been a back and forth history with this being banned for doping in professional athletics. Currently, it is legal, except that it is really rich in IGF-1, which is a banned substance. Now, of course, this is a natural substance. This is not a steroid. But when you look at natural substances, you won't find anything more powerful than elk antler for recovery, for lean muscle growth and maintenance, for metabolic enhancement, and for recovery after injuries and surgery. This is incredible stuff. If you're looking for a natural supplement that boosts your metabolism, helps you grow lean body mass, burns fat, increases libido and energy levels, and helps your body regenerate from your workouts or from injuries or surgeries, take a look at Sir Thrival's Elk Antler. What they saying, Jerry Maguire, you uh, had me at libido. Just kidding. Um, uh, we, we got some specials uh, for Valentine's Day, which is, I guess, Monday, huh? The 14th. And you can get the elk velvet antler and taboo, which is another kind of uh, huggy, kissy face, huggy bear kind of uh, libido thing, and shizandra and CBD. So all of these products are on sale right now through, through Surf Thrival. Sir Thrival, we've been promoting them for over 10 years, I should be able to say it. 15% discount, promo code LOVE15. Oh, LOVE15 uh, through next Tuesday, Taboo, Elk Velvet, Shazandra, and CBD oil. They have a great one on sale 
15% off. Use promo code LOVE15. Promo code LOVE15. A very interesting product that we have been promoting for a long time are these different... Um, Come on, say do you say different uh, different greens and microalgaes, spirulinas, uh, dunalina, salina, microalgae, hemophilia, all these crazy that I can't pronounce, and it's called BioAge. And the way this came about in a short story, Dr. Michael Kiriak was hired by the Russian government to come up with a superfood using different microalgaes long ago. And the Russian gov gave him a bunch of money. And the Russians are really in the longevity. You know, Putin riding with his shirt off and the wrestling the bear and all that stuff. Russians have always been into longevity and health. I mean, except for the vodka. You know, they leave that part out. But anyway, um, so they put a lot of money and hired Dr. Michael Kiriak to come up with a combination of algaes. He spent quite a few years up to 10 years, I believe, they created a bioreactor, so they grow these algaes in a bioreactor so they're not exposed to any pollution, you know, any kind of chemtrails or mercury uh, coal fire plants or anything. Pretty cool. And then Chernobyl hit, and the whole um, project was scrubbed. He moved to Canada and revamped it uh, and re-energized it with some other people, and they came up with these microalgaes. These are very powerful, uh, uh, very powerful, and there's about four or five different um, um, different microalgaes that I can't pronounce, so I won't try. Anyway, I think you'll like it. It's on the front page of oneradionetwork.com. On the front page, click an order and uh, let us know. Uh, you'll 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 feel this thing. There's something going on with this product. You'll feel it. Broadcasting from the beautiful hill country in Texas. This is one. RadioNetwork.com. There you see a beautiful picture of Emily Murphy, grown up. Emily, I don't know what happened to your picture. We kind of, sh- you kind of shrunk, but, um, do you know? What happened? Let me see here. No, Did it you- says that I'm there. Let's see. Let me see if I, I see that I shrank there on there. Let me see if there's view, speaker, The incredible gallery. shrinking woman. Oh, wait, full screen maybe? No, that's not it. <laughs> that didn't help, did it? That didn't help. Let me see. Let's see if I can yeah. try something here. Oh, no, that uh, doesn't. We don't want to do that one. Well, we don't want to do that one. We don't want to do that one. Well, it just is what it is. You for think? It happened, yeah. <laughs> it happened uh, a couple of months ago when the guest um, internet got a little slog, sloggy. Do you have a sloggy internet sometimes? Or? Oh, you know, I you don't our know. internet is really good. I'm not sure why... It's having trouble, but you never, I guess you never know. Never know. Could be on my end, too. It could be anything. Well, let's just press on because, you know, the show must go on. You know, we're live. What do we care, right? Yeah. (laughs) So, we've heard this term beyond organic. Uh, I think some of the regenerative farmer people that we've talked to, um, Joe Salatin, I don't know if you know Joe, um, and the, the people that have studied Rudolf Steiner. Uh, what does that mean, really? I mean, if it's organic, it's organic. How do you go beyond that? In, in the larger sense, go beyond organic is, it's basically saying, it's basically asking us to consider that organic 
isn't enough. And what they mean by that is that organic food grown at a large scale can, there aren't any synthetic inputs, right? It's, it's grown to or the organic guidelines, uh, which, which is really important and it's really good, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's grown ecologically using the benefits of nature's, which some of some of what we've just talked about. Um, and to put it in perspective, there's one way to look at it is to break down the word sustainable. So the word sustainable, the root word of sustainable means to sustain. And to sustain means essentially that you're maintaining the status quo. And in reality, when we look at issues that we have now with, say, species extinction, mm-hmm. uh, that we're losing uh, wildlife, plant, and animal life at an alarming rate. Uh, we we can't main, maintain the status quo. We we have to we have to do more than that. And that's where the word regenerative comes in and going beyond organic. And when we go beyond organic, using regenerative or, and restorative principles, we're actually we're actually restoring nature to our systems. And and what I think is so important about this and that speaks to your larger topic of health and wellness mm-hmm. is that when, when we foster biodiversity in our soils, so regenerative really initially looks at fostering biodiversity in soils. And part of that is growing the diversity of plants because there's this incredible relationship between plants and soil life and of course, life above ground. Uh, anyone who, who watches the wildflowers in Texas in the spring and sees the animals coming to them, different butterflies and bees, some of them are very specific. And and any native wildflowers, you know, they have they have developed relationships for centuries with the animals that visit them and that, that and together they co-evolve and they, they, uh, they ensure the life of the other. And, um, and when we keep these really interesting relationships in mind and we foster biodiversity in our soils and in the plants we grow, uh, we're fostering biodiversity above ground as well. And that's really what, what's meant in this go beyond organic because when and and, um, and regeneration is we are regenerating the life and the soils again mm-hmm. above ground mm-hmm. and in our plant life what's really cool is there was a study done out of finland and it looks at this region in northern finland that in world war ii so backing up, this region in Finland was this one uh, one cultural region where the people lived uh, collectively with similar um, practices. Uh-huh. And this was the 40s, so it was very much agrarian farm life and and basically rural. And uh, with World War II, a portion of that area was ceded to Russia, and portion that was ceded to Russia continued to live and those people continued to live in a way that was very much like they lived before World War II. Uh But on the Finnish side, 
it became urbanized. And if you look at the pictures, you'll see cities and streets and tall buildings on one side and agrarian life on the other. And what's really cool is they found through their research, and it was really just taking a survey of the health and wellness of the people on one side versus the other side of the border. They found that on the Finnish side that people had 10 times more, they were 10 times more likely to have asthma, to have um, inflammatory illnesses, to have all of these issues, um, including anxiety and depression. They had all these issues, 10 times more of them than people on the Russian side. And it's like, well, why is this? What's going on? And what it came back to is the microbes, the microbes in the soil, the microbes in the plants. And when you live in these urban environments, it's much harder to incorporate those, you know, nature into your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's possible, but it's harder versus when you're living around nature every day. And when we live around nature every day, even if you live in a city, if you incorporate it with good, healthy food, beyond organic, like regenerative food, organic food. Right now, we can mostly only get organic food. That's the best we can get because um, regenerative farms are really just coming on on, on board. Yes, um, and, and we spend time in nature. Um, science also shows that spending 120 minutes a week, which really isn't that much, it's two hours a week, uh, has similar benefits. It, and I'm sure it's because that you're, you're, you're interacting with microbes that are in, that, that are exist in plants and in soil, but um, it's sort of akin to nutritional wisdom in some ways too, which we could talk about. But uh, when you spend 120 minutes a week outdoors, they found that again, it, it reduces stress, relieves anxiety. Uh, you just feel happier. You're able to focus. And, and so there's all these wonderful things about being in nature. And one of them is this very real connection that we have with nature, that in reality, we are nature. And that, and, and to add to this, um, science has found that we are more microbe than human yes. in the sense that our, our genome, maybe you've talked about this, we our have, genome, yes. we have more genetic, um, we have more genetic material attributed to microbes than, than human genes. And we get these, these microbial the diversity of microbes in our bodies, we get them from our environments. We get them from our food. Maybe originally we got them from our, our moms at birth, uh, and, and but then it comes from our food and our environment. And the more biodiverse our environment, the more biodiverse our, our microbial population is, which that might sound kind of gross to some people, but it's really incredible because the microbes help us decode and distill the environment, which is why it helps us make sense, which is why you could say, oh, well, you're less likely to to have, say, um, allergies because your body isn't reacting to them through your immune system. Your body goes, oh, I, I know what that is. I, I get that. I understand that because I'm part that. I am part nature. And in, in reality, we, we are 100% nature. So, that I think that touches a little bit on this health and wellness component of going beyond organic, fostering biodiversity, because we can only be as healthy as the environment in which we live. And our food can only be as nutritious as the environment in which it's grown. Mm-hmm. And the more biodiverse the soil and the plant life, the healthier we are going to be for all those reasons. Yeah. Just uh, connect the dots. It's really incredible. Well said. Yeah, I can tell you're very passionate about this. Uh, Emily Murphy is with us, Grow Now is her book, uh, this is an email from, does your guest believe a, veg- a vegan agriculture will be better for the planet? 
What does that mean, vegan? Isn't all agriculture vegan? Vegan? I don't know. Will be better for the planet. And she, this person wants to know if you are a vegan. Right. I am. I'm not a vegan. Um, I really like cheese. <laughs> Good for you. So do I, I. I don't think I could be. I don't, and butter. I don't think I could be vegan because I really love cheese and butter, and I have scaled back on my cheese consumption. I I mostly just in, indulge in like Parmesan cheese and the occasional sharp cheddar. Uh, but I completely respect and 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 see the benefits of a vegan diet. Uh, especially for certain body types and and i do think it's good for the planet uh i have a few downfalls just like some people it might be potato chips or ice cream or pizza for me it's you know parmesan cheese uh and and butter uh but what she means by a, a vegan growing system it means that you wouldn't use say cow manure or That's, chicken manure yeah. You know, you wouldn't use any animal inputs into, or, or in some instances, some fertilizers are like blood meal, right? Or an or bone meal. You wouldn't use any animal products in the making of the food you grow. And um, I can see how growing food in a vegan manner would be beneficial. I can also see the benefits of using the resources at hand, and if if someone is raising chickens for the eggs and you have chicken manure uh why not why not use it to to invigorate our soils and and put life back into the soil um and And, so and cows gotta make cows have to make a living too you know just kidding (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's true the cows are saying well well, what about me i mean i'm a cow and i got baby cows and come on (laughs) yeah yeah, um, and so I, I, I think it's all. It comes up to personal preference, sure, but I do see do. the benefits for the planet. That that, yeah, there might be fewer resources needed to grow. Not maybe a, a lot fewer resources to grow food in a vegan manner, and there are benefits to that. Yeah, uh, Emily Murphy's with us. We have a few more minutes. If you care to join us, uh, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Also, you can call. It's triple eight six six three sixty three eighty six. So, um, what about uh, what's different for folks who live in an apartment and they got these containers? I've tried to do a little bit since I don't do the garden because of I'm on rainwater and just don't have the water here, and I've never had a good experience with just like putting tomato plants, you know, in a you know in a container on the porch. A lot of sun. It's never. Does it take a special kind of soil on care, Emily, to do container gardening for those who live in an apartment with balconies? Yeah, so container gardening is its own, it's definitely, its. I want to say it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that it can take a little bit of time to master container gardening to the point where you feel like your bumper crop of tomatoes is what you hoped it would be. Uh-huh. And, and I think in the beginning, what can be frustrating about container gardening is that you want your containers to behave like plants would if they were living in the ground and, or in big boxes and bins and raised beds. Um, 
that said, I grew in a container garden for 10 years. And I, wow. before when my family and I just moved a year ago, and before that, we were renting an apartment and, or it was a house, but my only growing space was a deck. And uh, it was challenging at first because I had come from an environment where I could grow in boxes and bins. And so I, I, I learned the hard way. And uh, once you, I think, come to terms in yourself, like with anything, and become a little more patient and, and follow your intuition, pay attention, those are all important skills, and, and use your curiosity. Those are all, all important attributes of, of growing, right? Because again, mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier, as you grow your garden, you grow yourself. And, and be prepared for that with container gardening in some ways. Be patient and just think how good you'll be in a year, if you just give it a year. So that first crop might not have worked out so well, say of tomatoes. And there are, there are reasons for that, which I can go into in a minute. Just think how good the next year you'll be because you'll have learned from your first year of growing. And the tricks for growing in containers are one, right plant, right place. And again, caring for soil and giving your plants the largest container possible so that their root systems can exist in a soil environment in which uh, is in, in a soil environment that is similar to what they would live in if they were in the ground. And for a plant like tomatoes, what's fabulous is there are thousands of tomato varieties. And so the trick is to choose a tomato variety that is uh, a patio tomato or a tomato that is, um, that can be easily contained and thrives in a container. And the other trick to growing a plant like a tomato in the container is to um, make sure that soil is insulated. So one of the biggest successes I had in growing tomatoes on my deck, because you can imagine a deck, if it's a deck near the ground, then you're getting heat from the ground. But the deck I was growing on was high off of the ground. And so all this cool air was continually coming up from under the deck and then cooling that soil overnight. And tomatoes heat-loving plants. It's not just the sun and the heat from the sun they need. They need warm soil. And so so that cool air would come up from underneath and cool that soil, and it would slow the growth of my plants. And one of the tricks I did was I would use grow bags, those felt grow bags. And one of the best growing seasons I had with tomatoes on the deck was when I doubled that grow bag. And I think I used a 10-gallon grow bag, and wow. I and I put two, one and the other, and they're not very expensive. So I doubled them to to increase that insulation, and um, and also trap more heat from the sunlight during the day, and it grew really well. And then of course, um, oh, and the other thing I did was I planted 100% in compost. So I filled the whole bag with compost, wow. planted the tomato in compost, doubled the bag, and chose a variety. I can't remember. I think I chose so. With my situation, because I was also dealing with cool coastal breeze, uh, I chose a, a short season variety, meaning a variety that would mature in a shorter amount of time. And I'm pretty sure it was a Sun Gold or a Sweet 100, you know, one of those small cherry snacking type tomatoes. It could be an early girl. That's another really great tomato that doesn't take that long to mature from seed to fruit. Mm-hmm. Good, uh, excellent. So that's one recommendation, and, and and don't be afraid to don't be afraid to experiment. And the other trick is to simply start with herbs. 
just grow huh. herbs because mm-hmm. herbs are loaded with nutrition. They immediately impact your cooking. Uh, just, I mean, being able to go out and collect a few sprigs of thyme or your own rosemary or parsley or um, cilantro, whatever it is you love, grow those plants because one, they're really easy to grow. And two, they're going to immediately Im- impact your cooking, as I just mentioned. And three, when you let them go to flower, uh, as is the case typically with rosemary, and also oregano, um, certain basils like sweet basil, you want to keep picking them for the leaves. If they flower, then of course it, it, it bolts and then goes on to its next generation. But there are plenty of herbs that um, you can let go to flower. Then they also support pollinators. Bees and butterflies will come. Mm. They will love your garden. And you get something for yourself and something for wildlife. And they're easy to grow, again, uh, in there containers. There you go. Uh, Emily, uh, Evan wants to know, he is in Cincinnati, I think. Evan wants to know, does your guest recommend getting a soil sample to an extension and finding out the different components in the soil? Is, does she think that's important to do? I, I do, actually, especially if you're growing in, in, in the ground in an environment that's new to you that you don't have a lot of experience with, or if you've been growing in the ground and you haven't had a lot of success and you're wondering, okay, is it me? What's or is going it the on? soil? Is it my plants? What's going on? Do I need therapy and or what? Do I need therapy before I continue? <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and getting your soil sampled is really simple. You take cores from various parts of the growing area, and um, you mix those cores. Those um, and you can you can get a special tool for this, or you can just dig down like six, six inches deep, um, deeper if you can. But six inches is usually pretty good. And then you mix those core um, samples from I think about 15, uh, 15 core samples from your entire yard or just your growing space, whatever the area is you want to test. You mix them up in a bucket. I stir them together and then you send in about a half a cup, depending upon the lab's recommendations. You send in about a half a cup of soil to be sampled Uh and what they can tell you is they can tell you the ph which is really important and oftentimes it's ph that is the toughest thing for um um, gardeners to deal with and to manage and to and because it it immediately affects the plant's ability to uptake nutrients and if the ph is off and your plant prefers a neutral ph but the soil is very acidic it's not going to be able to absorb the nutrients it needs to for all sorts of chemical um uh, and chemistry reason reasons which i needed a tutor in chemistry so i'm not the person to ask about that i understand there are ways to balance there are ways to balance the ph that people can look up in your book and other places exactly and when you when you have your soil sampled request organic recommendations for correcting the soil and they give you they give you the parts per square inch parts not parts per square inch but parts per acre you can break it down parts per square foot and um, if you're not sure you can call them and they'll explain it to you and then you can remedy your soil and um, going back to compost, one of the cool things about compost is that it's it's this balanced soil food that naturally helps buffer pH and naturally feeds soil and correct many of these imbalances. But get your soil sampled first because it could be that 
correcting pH, especially, especially if it's on an extreme end, um, uh-huh. could be your first place to start that gives you this incredible leg up on your next growing season. There you go. Uh, Emily Murphy is with us. Her book is cool. It's called Grow Now. Grow Now. Grow Now. And um, mulch. So in hotter climates, a lot of folks do some pretty heavy mulching here in Texas because of the sun. What, what kind of... Uh, material do you recommend if you want to put a mulch on top yeah great question source your mulch locally whenever possible so it Mm. doesn't have to travel as far and and then you're more likely if it's not traveling as far you're more likely to have access to mulches that are best for your conditions and again going back to something we talked about earlier the the if you think about it as i'm going to feed my plants with materials that are similar or made up of materials that the plant is made up of, then you're really f- giving your um, giving you're really providing a mulch to the environment that is best for those plants. And that might that might sound kind of confusing, but okay, think about it this way: um, if you have a really big, beautiful oak tree, and that oak tree every year, right, if it's deciduous, most of them are, drops its leaves. Well, in, in reality, what, what's happening is those leaves drop and it's feeding the soil. It's naturally mulching the soil because nature nature's already doing all these things, right? Mulching yeah. soil. We're just doing our best to keep up with nature and mimic and, and use the ways of nature in our gardens by mulching. Uh, but those leaves are the very best mulch to go under that tree. Uh, and if we think about it this way, so perennials, trees, perennial trees and shrubs, give them a mulch made of coarse woody debris that is made up of plant parts and bits and, and bit composted, I'm sure it's somewhat decomposing, composted bits that are similar to the plants that um, you're mulching around. And again, if, it's, if you're mulching around a vegetable um, a vegetable garden or near a vegetable garden, you might use a mulch that includes... Uh, the green waste or trimmings or even food scraps from the vegetable garden yeah excellent those are those are those are my those are my couple but i i highly recommend mulch the only time you you might want to decrease mulch is in certain areas where uh you suspect there might be ground nesting bees and it's much easier for those bees in in general to nest when there's not a thick mulch layer so maybe leave a few patches here and there for ground nesting bees emily i've seen uh, some different um, articles saying that most americans eat like three or four vegetables that's all they eat right (laughs) and uh, many people argue like uh, some of our past guests that it's really important to get a much broader range if we can there's just more you know Every, every vegetable is so different and unique and different qualities and microbes. What are some things that people don't generally grow that you would recommend that they should try to maybe put in that are easy and fun to grow? Yeah, that's a really great, that's a really great point. I, I had heard something just similar to that. I've been researching some of those same topics, whereas humans, I think we used to eat 6,000 different you know, types of plants throughout the course of the year. Wow, 6,000? Whoa. 6,000. And, and there, there's some research that I've heard that, that says that, uh, um, that 
you know, we were able to evolve and become as successful as we have as, as, a, as a species because of the diversity of foods that uh-huh. we eat. Yeah. And we've kind of dumbed down our food system uh, based on what's available in the grocery store. And that's a whole other topic that I'm learning about that I think is so fascinating. So, I'm really glad you brought that up because it kind of goes back to that diversity equals diversity. The more Mm -hmm. diversity you feed your body, right, the healthier, more resilient your body will be. And, And what's wonderful about growing some of your own food is that, one, you know the inputs. You're growing it yourself. You've done it. You've grown it yourself. Wow. You're like, I did this. I grew this. It brings so much satisfaction. Um but you can also grow varieties of foods that you might not find in the grocery store. And um, this could be certain herbs like lovage. Um, who cooks with lovage? Well, you only cook with lovage if you're growing it yourself. And lovage is a hardy perennial herb. It's herbaceous, which means it drops back, um, it dies back in the winter, but it sprouts back up. Plant it once, harvest it for years. It has this incredible licorice flavor. You can use it in all kinds of dishes. Mm. And you can imagine how good it is for you. And again, it's one of those foods that, you know, you're adding to your diet. So, you're adding something that wasn't there before. Uh, other, other fruits and vegetables. Um, one of the... One of the plants I grew last year for the first time, which was I was so excited to try, is uh, a spinach that's not a true spinach. It's called, um, oh, I just forgot its name. New Zealand? New Zealand? New Zealand, uh, maybe. New Zealand spinach, but it's not spinach. I'll have to... I'll, I'll have to send the name to okay. you for some reason. I, But what's so funny is I just found a, a volunteer of it growing in my garden. And I was just thinking about it. But it's, it's, a, it's a heat-loving green, which can be great if you get a lot of heat uh, because it's heat tolerant and it tastes like spinach and it freezes well. And again, huh. you'd never find it in the grocery store. One of, one of the, because I know we're getting short on time, but one of the, one of the, um, one of the things I would suggest for your listeners is to flip through a seed catalog or, or, um, or go online and, and go to your favorite seed supplier and look for plants that are new to you. And, of course, grow the plants you love. Sure. That's the topic of my first book. Right. right? Grow the plants that you know you're going to cook with that you, you rely on every year for um, – Maybe the the jams you make or the the dishes you like to make in in summer. For me, I can never have enough basil. I have to grow basil. Uh, But then add in two or three plants that are new to you that you've never grown before that you know you'll never find in the market. And try them out. See what happens. And, And each year, then you can add something new to your diet and something new to your garden. And you can learn the ways of that plant, which increases your success of growing that plant. Um. You know, one thing that I would love to have is organic asparagus that don't cost $8 a pound. You know, it's like, whoa. You know, what the, the prices. It, is asparagus pretty? And I know you, years ago I grew, had some and you got hills and all that, but it's, it's doable, right, asparagus? Oh, it's, it's doable. It's really easy. And if I, I have a lot of gophers here, and so I wouldn't grow it in the ground without protection. I see. I would probably, and I'm actually, uh, we're new to the house we're in. We've only lived in this house a year, but I'm planting asparagus this year for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait to grow my own exper- exper- asparagus They're because so it's good. exactly as wow. you said. Wow. It's so good, but it's expensive to buy in the market, 
but it's a perennial, as I was mentioning with Lovage, it's a perennial where you can plant it once and harvest for years and years and years. And, and um, my recommendation with asparagus is to uh, get is to buy crowns so you can buy crowns of their root crowns and you can buy them at two or three years of age mm -hmm. look for two a minimum of two three years of age preferably and uh, follow the instructions for planting them you just you bury them under the soil surface and you spread them out quite far i think it's about a foot each and a foot apart one from the other because they spread and um in the first year, you won't harvest anything because you really want you really want those fronds that come up, which are they look like asparagus fronds, kind of look like feathery ferns. You really want those leaves of those fronds to gather and collect as much energy as they can from the sun and put it back into their root system. And then the next year, you might harvest oh maybe a, a quarter of the asparagus, but leave the rest. So again, they can keep. Um, putting energy back into the root system and then by the third fourth year you can start um you can start harvesting more and more and more yeah. and then you'll have you'll have your own asparagus farm right there really, in your yard in, really or in a box yum. when you do the seeds thing um do you just um naturally go for the heritage seeds and do you think that's important i that's a that's a good question i often i usually go I usually look for a, a, a few features. One is, what do I really want to grow? What, where can I find it and what form can I find it in? Can I find it in or, an organic form? Right. I think that's important. Uh, and, or can I source it from a neighbor? Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up with, with uh, my mom saying, hey, Emily, go, uh, go take this um, cup of sugar to Mrs. Molander, the neighbor. She needs it to finish her batch of cookies. And right. I'd run over to Mrs. Molander's house with the cup of sugar from my mom. And then Mrs. Molander would give me uh, seeds or, or cuttings uh, to take back to my mom. And we'd root the cuttings in water on the windowsill and we'd save the seeds <laughs> for our spring planting. And we'd have the sharing economy, right? And I think sourcing your seeds locally even within your community is definitely the way to go because those seeds then are already adapted to the unique microclimate of your community of your specific niche and and those microclimates can change pretty dramatically from one part of your community to the next uh, and heirloom seeds excellent uh, seed savers exchange is one place where they're really trying to create this seed database of sorts where um, we can we can uh, foster a biodiversity of foods hmm. and and when we have these seed collections whether they're heirloom or whether they're um, uh, organic um, and uh, what's the other word I'm looking for besides heirloom it's um, gosh I'm forgetting okay I think I need more coffee this morning I get some more coffee uh, <laughs> um, there's a term for it when it's 50 years old or more and I'm forgetting oh, no, no, what it is. is you mean there's another term uh, with uh, Emily with organic I didn't know I mean with heritage uh -huh. heritage I didn't know that hmm. yeah maybe heritage anyway old um, heritage regardless 50 year old heritage 50 year old <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know uh, but I, I think I think sourcing seeds from uh, also a local supplier that's the other hard thing that's um, or the other the other issue with seed 
seed seed growers and seed suppliers is finding seeds that are are somewhat regional or where seed growers are actually growing the seeds themselves because many of the seeds from the larger seed companies they're sourcing them from all around the world which is not a problem exactly but i love supporting local whenever i can have you ever heard of a plant called um uh my grandma you we used to eat garduna we call it Garduna, but I think that I think Garduna. the name is Cardone. See, I, I think it is, but we actually used to get them from my grandma. Used to get them from the alleyway. She lived in the city and it grew in between the bricks, you know, in the alley. And we yeah. called we called them weeds, but they were the most delicious things ever. And when we were kids, <laughs> we'd go over to my grandma's house and she would she kind of parboil them, sort of thing, and then she would batter yeah. them up in a you know, in an egg and kind of flour kind of thing, and then fry them. OMG. Oh. They were so delicious. And we called them weeds when we were kids. We called them garduna, right. which was an Italian way. And um, I, I think, I think you're going to, I don't know if you've ever heard of those. It's pretty cool stuff. I haven't. <laughs> that is, I'm, I wrote it down though. Um, it's interesting you say that because my, my maternal family's, um, my great grandfather immigrated from Italy, ah. and then my great grandmother came over. Yeah, but I don't remember them Cardona. fixing. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask my mom ask. Uh, or my mom's older sister because um, if my grandmother ever prepared anything with Garduna, yeah. then they would know. That sounds fabulous. I re- love these foods. See, yeah. think of these foods we've forgotten or that we don't eat anymore. That are they might be right in our communities right now and we just need to learn their ways and recognize them and Lots and lot. learn how to cook with them. Final question and this is a little off subject but not really. I just wanted to get your opinion. Uh, Emily, I'm about mm, an hour or so outside of Austin in the country, outside of Austin, Texas. Uh-huh. Beautiful Texas Hill country. Nothing but, look out my windows, nothing but green and not, nothing going on out here as far as chemicals. It's just very, very sweet. But you know, over the last, uh, I don't know, five years, we just don't see any more wasps. And we used to see mm-hmm. cabillions like were underneath a, a tin roof kind of thing over Lanai. They would, I mean, there were thousands of wasps and they were great. They wouldn't attack you and they would do everything. Do you have any theory why, were these, what happens to these things? Uh, do you think they get poisoned or chemtrailed or 5G? Do, do we know? Yeah, I, I, I don't know specifically. What do you think? What's but you're a gardener. You're, you're a broad thinker. What, what do you think? What, yeah, comes, what do, comes to mind? I do think you're right. And I, I well, immediately what comes to mind is, is the issue that's that's happening with many of our insects, which is they're, they're, they've lost habitat due to development and land use practices they um they they are often being poisoned because of um, herbicides and pesticides that are used not only on crops but also on lawns Mm -hmm. and um, what is it 40 million acres of the u.s is lawn is that right some incredible amount yeah some incredible amount is lawn and uh and and we have these ideas of lawn that it needs to be perfect when really I think if we adopt, I mean, I like having a lawn. I like to play cornhole. I like to play croquet. Sure. It's really wonderful to have a spot to have a lawn, but maybe, maybe 
plant clover in it so you don't have to use any um, synthetic fertilizers or weed and feed and you um, it naturally fertilizes itself because you've added clover uh, for instance uh, but there but yes I do I do think that um, there are these larger themes that are affecting insects and wildlife across the board and when they affect insects they affect birds everything yeah. um, we've heard stories about the bees and many theories on why the bees are having a hard time as well and well uh, yep. final bees and butterflies bees monarch and, butterflies yeah, flutterbies, yes. yeah man Phew. Yeah, yeah, the and it, it goes back to it goes it goes back to our original conversation of our need to go beyond organic because yeah. the best way to foster biodiversity is to um, is to create an environment which in which biodiversity can thrive. And uh, again, we're only as healthy as the environment in which we live. And that includes it's not just for us, that includes wildlife and plants as well. Um, and they're the their wildlife and plants make up the environment you know and the earth makes up the environment in which we live but it's it's the same for for the wasps yeah. you were mentioning and when you live in a toxic environment um, then it's much harder to survive and Indeed. Um, it could it could be there's all these I mean, there's there are interconnected patterns within ecologic with within ecology that are so complex and they're so old that it's hard to understand them. And I think part of unraveling some of these issues is, is taking time to pay attention, develop your nature quotient, your understanding of nature. And, um, and the more we learn about, say, the wasps in your area that, have, have, um, that you see far fewer of. I know for me, we see far fewer fireflies. Uh, the monarch butterfly, the western monarch butterfly along that um, overwinters along the southern coast, the central to southern coast of California, is, um, their populations once numbered in the millions in the 80s. And now, um, as of last year, there were less than 2,000. This year, their, wow. their numbers bumped up to 250,000. Oh, that's cool. But still, 250,000 is a recovery, yet it's nowhere near the millions it was in the 80s. Yeah. And um, hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's telling. And, 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 and I think that, um, I don't know about you, but I've had a number of people in my life pass away from cancer. And um, I, who knows what, you know, different cancers have different sources, but uh, for me, I, I go back to the health of our environment, and and um, and cancer doesn't just affect us. You know, these these terrible things it affects nature as well. Sure. Final so email for so, you. Uh, Nancy's up in Nebraska, and she's got gophers, uh, just like you, and she wants to know how to get rid of them or send them to heaven <laughs> or keep them away. Whatever your choice is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah so i i have gophers i i coexist with my gophers yeah, yeah. uh they're cute yeah i you know, do yeah, what are you gonna do you can you can trap them you can have someone come in and trap them and hmm. move them uh what i do is i plant in gopher baskets and i do that in part because my dog <laughs> my dog digging after the gophers will dig up my plants and so I see. so the gopher the gopher baskets protect the plants from the gophers and from my dog digging <laughs> them up um, and then I grow my vegetables most of them in raised beds 
I see. And um, at the, and the raised beds are open to the soil, but I have uh, gopher wire or hardware cloth on the bottom, so they can't come up from underneath. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- those are two barriers are one of the best ways to manage um, animals like gophers and other animals like deer. Just it's just the barrier looks a little different. Yeah. Emily Murphy, her book is called Grow Now, Go Beyond Organic. It's really fun. I'm, I appreciate uh, your publisher sending this. Uh, finally, you know, when I first moved to Austin uh, in 1983, I actually worked at Whole Foods, the original, for about six months. I was getting into the food business after getting fired from radio too often. I said, I got to do something, you know. And, <laughs> and um, you know, back then, organic was cool, right? Man, the first Whole Foods. Now, it's like essential, isn't it? I mean... We just, I think, need to focus on using our resource to eat organic food, whether we grow it ourselves or buy it. It's important, right? Really important. Yeah. It's really, it is, it's, it's really important. And I, I think it's also important to find ways to make organic food accessible and affordable yeah. for a larger part of our population. Yeah. Uh, because food is, is so important. I mean, it's it's part of our survival but it's also part of it's a, a one way we we find joy and one way we share time with each other and good food good organic food uh food you've grown yourself just tastes so much better yeah. and and it's, it's full of life it doesn't have you know if, if it's grown locally it doesn't have to travel as far it's full of nutrition there's so many benefits and it's so important for our planet but um yes I think organic is the way, and I think also uh, finding ways to make organic food, again, accessible to everyone is also really important. Yeah. We have a great farmer's market here once a week in Dripping Springs. Really lovely people, you know. Uh, But they work hard. You know, it's not easy, boy, you know, making a living growing organic food. I I talk to them, and Mm -hmm. it's it's a challenge. Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. You're right. As you know, it's a lot of work. (laughs) It's... It is a lot of work, but it's one of those forms of work that is gratifying. Yes. And and you mentioned this earlier. We're, we spend all this time on our screens or in front of screens, and yeah. and there's something really beautiful about stepping away from your screen and being in nature. And your garden is your most immediate touch point with nature, whether that's a set of containers or boxes and beds or. Mm-hmm. You know, or a borrowed garden, like a community garden. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you're you're fun to talk to. I I don't know what happened to your little picture, but it just shrank on us. The incredible shrinking <laughs> gardener, but <laughs> I couldn't figure that one out. But it's fine. We got to hear you. We can see you. Uh, Emily's book is cool. It's called Grow Now. Available. I guess it is on Amazon and other other nefarious places yep. around Amazon. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It's available wherever you buy books. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, local bookstores. Uh, if you're abroad, the Book Depository. If you're, you know, in Europe or something, uh, or if you have family in Europe. But uh, yeah, wherever you buy books, and I can be found online. Uh, my handle on Instagram and Twitter is at Pass the Pistol, Pass. which is the name of my. Um, my website past the pistol as in p-i-s-t-i-l as in part of a flower ah. uh, pistol is the female part of the flower so it's that that is a 
a saying I, I uh, used for a number of years, grow what you love and pass it on and pass it on past the pistol. It's sort of metaphoric for my work and my um, oh. interest in sharing my work with others and having other people share uh, their work as well. Because I think that's how we're all, we, we all benefit. We're better together. Yes, and ma'am. So share, grow what you love and pass it on. Pass it on. Pistol. And we will we'll put that link on your show page here on the audio called Pass the Pistol, P-I-S-T-A-L, right? P-I-S? Uh, P-I-S-T-I-L. T-I-L. Pistol. Oh, yeah. Pistol. Okay. Yeah. Well, Emily, yeah. thanks a lot for for being here. Thanks for getting up so early. Well, it's about, what, 920 there in California? Yeah. 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 Oh, it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed meeting you. Yeah. And um, meeting you, Yeah, too. Thanks, thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, you take care of yourself, all right? All right. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, I'm, you too. May the okay. blessings Bye. be. Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. Very nice lady, huh? It's a great book. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. Get yourself one, and it's called Grow Now. Really cool things. Teach you how to make compost and the wormies and uh, the seeds, and just very compact and well done. Yeah, it's, get this book and support Emily in her garden. Okay, we're going to take a quick little break here, maybe an hour and a half. Wow, I don't know what I'm doing with myself. I guess we'll go out and take Doodle for a walk out in the country. Well, she walks me. We just go play. And uh, we'll be back at 1 o'clock and, and talk about, believe yeah, numerology. You know from numerology? It's pretty cool. I think we're going to have fun. I know we will. And that'll be uh, at 1 o'clock Central. So I have about 90 minutes here to go play outside for a while and get out in the sun. And uh, 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 keep in mind, Santos Bonacci will be here tomorrow, Wednesday, 10 o'clock Central. If, um, if you think uh, uh, us flat earthers are crazy, well, you can call and, or email Santos and say, what, well, come on, how can, that, how can that be? Ask him a question. He's a flat earther, but also a very uh, well-researched uh, gentleman on the whole um, idea of evolution, how we got here, where we're going, and um, the history that we don't know about. And we're going to talk about the lost history tomorrow a lot with Santos Panacci. So get your email questions in, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com, and also the the 888-663-6386 number will be available tomorrow for Santos as well if you'd like to talk to him. So I will see you in about 1 o'clock. I love you all very much. Thank you. May the blessings be. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.